Welcome everyone to First Principles Podcast. This is the episode on the carnivore diet. Now what incarnation is the carnivore diet? Well, it's a diet that's been uh, coming into a lot of popularity recently. Um, a lot of people have been uptaking it. There's been a lot of podcasts that have been dedicated towards it. And what it essentially is, is what it sounds like. You're eating meat. It's just strictly eating meat. There's no vegetables. There's no uh, fruits. There's no carbs. No nothing associated with it. No bread. No muffins. Forget about your muffins. I love me some muffins. <laughs> but none of that. Forget about it. And we're only eating meat. Yeah. Someone put it, if it walks, swims, or flies, that's what you're eating. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Those are the simple criteria. Um, so I don't know. What are your initial thoughts on it going into this, uh, Elliot? Well, first off, I want to just highlight that some of the claims why people are having this diet are you know, adapting this diet is they're saying that it's helping cure them of their autoimmune diseases or um, conditions, uh, trying to lose weight on this diet. Um, people have gone as far as to claim that it's helped uh, relieve them of their depression sy symptoms mm -hmm. as well. Depression. Uh, yeah. But what we're not going to do is dive into that side of things. We're not going to look at this from is it a healthy diet or not. What right. we're interested in is how much uh, environmental impact is associated with this diet type. Right. We don't care about the health implications. We don't care if it's good for you, bad for you. It may be both. It may be neither. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a doctor. It is what it is. We don't. But what we want to look at. Neither of us are doctors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just put that out there. Um, if it's not obvious already. Uh, <laughs> uh, but what we want to talk about specifically are the environmental implications associated with a purely carnivore-based diet. So what would be the carbon footprint associated with eating purely meat as 100% of your calorie intake throughout the day, throughout the year? Um, what are the you know implications in terms of water consumptions, your CO2 footprint, um, the land area required for to grow the sustenance that you need to keep yourself going, to meet your fundamental energy requirements? Those are the questions that we want to get into the, those nitty gritty little details. Um, yeah, and I want to just add one thing there. It's like we've chosen the carnivore diet because it is kind of going through this fad period and it's interesting to us right now. It's not here to bash meat, to right. bash diets that have meat as part of them. Like we are not vegans. We're not here to promote no, that. Um, I eat meat. I just ate some bacon. It was delicious. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I love me my meat. I love me my barbecues, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So in this podcast, that's not the purpose of it, but mm -hmm. we're just genuinely curious. You know, what would uh, you know? What would be the you know the effect, the impact of eating a carnivore diet? That's right. what we're interested in. Right. Just looking at the numbers, we're not some crazy vegans trying to convince you to uh, forget about meat. It's going to be the end of the world. You know, cow farts are going to be the death of. <laughs> The human civilizations <laughs> no we're not those types of people so if those are the types of people that you're looking for in order to have some sort of confirmation bias or whatever that's not what we're look be giving you elsewhere look yeah. elsewhere <laughs> yeah but um so we wanted to essentially look at you know if for the average 
Western individual, if you're trying to get 2,500 uh, uh, 2, calories a day in order to maintain your basic energy demands, you know, what would that translate to in terms of how much uh, meat you would need on a yearly basis? Now, what we did was look at uh, specifically cows and if you were to eat just strictly beef, um, if you were to eat beef, you know, what would that mean in terms of how much how, how much beef you would need in a year to sustain your basic diet of 2,500 calories in a day? And what we found was that um, you would essentially need about 1.4 cows uh, per a year. So 1.4 cows per year. And it's, um, I don't know, when you look at that, it I, I don't know how, how that number sounds to you, Elliot, when you just um, hear that number. But, you know, you could, I guess, like meet your basic calories with 1.4 cows. But what does that mean in terms of the, the area that's, that that cow requires in order to grow and uh, just stay healthy within, within a year? And what we calculated was that there... Um, one cow would need 2.8 acres per year per person. So again, 1.4 cows, that would take up about 2.8 acres per person per year. Um, so to sustain yourself, that's what you would be essentially looking at. You need 2.8 acres. That's how much your diet would be taking up. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's based on a cow that's being raised on a pasture. Right, right. So this would be a cow that's, uh, raised with you know maybe more not not so much industrial techniques where you're trying to huddle in your cows and optimize for space but this is more traditional uh, pasture-based farming where there's a bit more free range that's associated with the cows and their captivity um, which we uh, we found the general rule of thumb was 1.5 to 2 acres that you would need per cow so that's how we got to that number of 2.8 acres. And and that number takes into account um, basically the amount of grass that needs to grow to feed the cow in the summertime, plus create a surplus that you can harvest to feed it uh, during the winter when the, the grass isn't growing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So uh, just uh, some basic calculations, nothing too crazy. And we wanted to look at what the implications of the area would be that's required in order to sustain a population that's primarily based off the carnivore diet. So say for example, if 1% of the population were to jump onto the carnivore diet, how much of our farmable land would that consume hmm. uh, to sustain that 1%? What we found was for 1% of the population to be turned to carnivore, that would mean in Canada, that would lead to 3.7% of our farmable land being used for the carnivore diet folks. So uh, in the US, that number is even uh, worse actually because they have relatively less farmable land from what it seems, or maybe it's not that, but it's their population actually. So it's, yeah, greater um, population. Yeah, I think that's more so the population that's the biggest issue is that they're, you know, it's a whole order of magnitude greater than Canada. But if 1% of the population in the U.S. was to become carnivore-based, so again, strictly meat, no vegetables, no fruits, no carbs, no nothing, 6% of the land would need to be used up for, um, uh, for, for growing this cattle, for growing the meat necessary. 
Um, and then when we look at 10%, we have 37% respectively and 60%. And so it's, it's, it's pretty crazy right from there when already when we have, you know, just something as small as 10% of the population becoming purely carnivore based. And, you know, in the U.S., that's already 60% of the total land that's farmable will be used for that. And in Canada, 37%, so almost 40%. Uh, yeah, to me, that's that's a huge. Those are huge numbers in terms of the land that's required in order to sustain this type of diet. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think of that number there, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, just on the surface there, you are seeing just how unsustainable this is. I mean, at ten percent, you know, you can't uh, you can't imagine a hundred percent of people doing <laughs> yeah. this. It's just not possible. I mean, at fifty percent, we're already at one hundred eighty-five percent of the available land in Canada, and three hundred percent of the available farmable land in Canada. So all that to say that uh, essentially we cannot afford to have a large uh, portion of the population eating strictly meat. Like, uh, that's, I guess that's essentially the conclusion that uh, I, I'm sort of coming to. Yeah. And we are, again, <laughs> we are looking at the worst case scenario. So yeah. um, in the sense that we are looking just simply at beef and they tend to be on terms of the land required to to raise cattle and to slaughter them and all that right right they so are. beef is generally the worst in terms of the energy that's required per gram um in terms of the water that's consumed per gram so this is really yeah the worst case scenario that we're looking at for our carnivore diet if you were to for example you know have a carnivore diet strictly based off of chicken then that would be a different story your relative impact in terms of the area that will be consumed uh, the the farmable area that will be consumed would be much lower but nonetheless this is to give us kind of like an upper boundary an upper range to to play around with so kind of like the worst case scenario um, and yeah it really demonstrates uh, how impactful this has a potential to be um, in terms of the area and not only that but of course, the carbon footprint that is associated with eating a strictly meat diet because, you know, there is a carbon footprint both associated with the cows themselves, with their methane production, but not only that, which is what it is, but not only that, with all of the machinery and all the technology that's used in order to, um, you know, grow and feed these cows. So when you factor all these variables in, we what we found was that on a yearly basis, um, actually no, per day, we broke it down per day eventually, yeah. was the mass of CO2 that would be produced per person per day would be about 31 kilograms. So 31, of C, 31 kilograms of CO2 per person per day, that is the CO2 production if you were to eat strictly beef for your entire calorie intake. Now, when we compare that to something that, you know, we might have uh, some sort of relative basis of understanding with. So for example, with our automobile use, with our gasoline consumption, what we found was that um, the average person, I, I believe this was based off the US consumption uh, of um, vehicle use. So this is, again, I think probably on the upper end because Know, that's probably like the 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 culture where the car is probably like the most central role in terms of you know how people commute on a daily basis um, so what we found was that on average a person would be producing 10.5 kilograms of co2 
per day. So in terms of automobile use, you'd be producing 10.5 kilograms of CO2 per day. But in terms of your diet, you'd be producing thir uh, 31 kilograms of CO2 per day. So almost, literally three times as much of a carbon footprint when you have your you know car regular automobile use versus your diet so again it kind of really shows the um the environmental implications of a diet that is strictly based off of meat if you're only consuming beef specifically uh you really see that there is an environmental cost that's quite great associated with it um I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what uh, I think is important to highlight here is that so many of us, uh, the way that we consume meat is um, we are so separated from the process. You know, right. by the time we go to the grocery store and, you know, pick the steak off the shelf there, it's um, we've met it at such a downstream position in mm -hmm. a sense. With a car, there is the ability to look out the window and see the, the tailpipe of the car beside you, you know, uh, the exhaust coming out of it and there's your co2 but when you think about eating uh, a steak for supper and lunch you're not really thinking holy shit this is actually um uh, you know the emissions associated with what i'm consuming right now is greater than uh what i had done today when i was traveling to the to the market to pick it up yeah yeah exactly like it's not something that we think of on a, a daily basis what are you know, environmental footprint is with regards to, you know, some of the decisions that we're making. And I think that that's an issue where people really need to have that mindset where we're consciously aware of, you know, what are we doing? What are the steps that every individual is taking in order to ensure that their, you know, carbon footprint, their water consumption, whatever it may be, is that it aligns with their, you know, ideology. So if you're one of those people that's screaming and shouting for government, for big corporations, for big oil to, you know, do something about the environment, well, then you yourself need to be doing something about the environment and ensuring that that comes from your own individual um, carbon footprint. And by being aware of these types of things, like, for example, how much CO2 is my diet, you know, really contributing? How much water uh, consumption is associated with the diet that I'm consuming? And that's another thing that we actually looked at was the water consumption that would be associated with a strictly carnivore diet. So again, obviously cattle, beef, they require water uh, for both consuming and growing the grass that they're eating. So what we eventually found out was that, you know, per person per year, if you were to consume the carnivore diet, eat strictly beef, that would lead to over 5 million liters of water consumption, which uh, translates into two Olympic sized swimming pools worth of water. So that's how much water you would need to feed those cows that you would be that 1.4 uh, cow that you would need in order to sustain your diet. <laughs> so again, um, 2.8 Olympic swimming pools, just to give a, a kind of a, a basis of comparison that people might have some sort of frame of reference. But 
yeah that's essentially the amount of water that's and that's just with the meat that you're consuming that doesn't factor in the water consumption that this is that you know you regularly uh need for you know sustenance or whatever bathing mm -hmm. that's yeah. that's just the water consumption associated with your diet five million liters of water or two olympic swimming pools um yeah it's it's interesting just to have those numbers kind of put into a context that's relatable that we can think of but again it really showcases that um there is a cost associated with the daily decisions that we make those diets that we take and what we'll do is provide a comparison of that um you know so we gave the upper range in terms of eating strictly beef, but what would that mean and how would that compare to the average diet that is not consuming, um, you know, like just straight beef on a daily basis? And uh, Elliot has some of those numbers that he's going to talk about so we can have kind of like a base of comparison. Yeah, uh, we thought that that's absolutely essential for this conversation is to have... Uh uh, you know, a sense of what is the baseline diet like? How does that compare when you uh, look at the numbers? So what we had to do is come up with a diet scenario that we thought was baseline. Um, and so what we came up with was a diet that is 50% uh, um, of, of your calorie needs are met through consumption of chicken, okay? And 25% is through rice, 22.5 and the other another 22.5 percent is through potatoes and the last little bit there 2.5 percent is uh, met through cabbage um so we took you know the calorie densities of all these different food items added them add them all up looked at you know our average person you know needs 250 um 2000 sorry 500 calories per day per person and worked at how like how much uh, weight is that uh, per person for each food item. Um, for something like rice, we're talking 175 kilograms a year per person. And something like chicken, we're talking uh, 144 chickens based on the average weight of a chicken. Mm -hmm. um, for space, you know, it, raising chickens takes up a lot less space. So uh, we looked at two different scenarios here, one where you had... Uh, basically a battery cages system okay those birds only need about uh, 0.2 meter squared per per chicken um, so that requirement if you were to expand that for a year for one person is 25 meters cubed per person okay and then if you were to look at chickens being raised free range they get to go out and peck on the bugs and grass out in you know yeah. the farmland you're talking like a happy old chicken life happy happy chickens <laughs> are good chickens instead of being crammed and sitting on each other in like tight cages and yeah yeah <laughs> stepping squashed yeah and so they need a bit more room but it's not considerably a lot more it's 1.3 meters cubed per bird which works out to about um, 175 meters cubed per uh, year per person was that 1.3 versus 0.2? Yeah, that mm -hmm. was 1.3 versus, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a six times more, right? That's, damn, yeah. Six times more room? For sure, yeah, yeah. it is a lot more room. Yeah. But I mean, in, in perspective of somebody having a little bit of property, um, the chances that you could actually raise your own chickens 
and and meet to half your calorie intake for a year it doesn't seem unrealistic right. based on those numbers it's feasible yeah, it's sure. feasible for sure um we also uh took a look again at you know how does that compare to the farm land needed so mm -hmm. you had a hundred percent of the population in canada or the u.s adapting this diet uh, land use wise of the of the land use that's uh, assigned to agriculture um, it would only take up four percent in Canada and six percent in the US four percent that's crazy and that's a hundred percent of the population mm -hmm. adapting the diet yeah. so just as a reminder when I talked about the carnivore diet and the land consumption associated with that if say for example 50% of the population were to adopt it in Canada that was already 185% of the land that's devoted to agriculture and in the US that's 300% so essentially it's not feasible but over here when we look at the other diet substitute that we have the alternative when we have 100% of the population adopting that specific diet we're only consuming 4% yeah yeah four percent of the land that's devoted for agriculture so that's you can see a huge difference uh, associated between the two that's crazy and this continues on like when we look at the co2 um, emissions per day per person for this mixed diet scenario uh, we have it at f basically six kilograms of co2 per day per person which in comparison to the car which was at 10 uh, 0.5 kilograms of co2 mm -hmm. which in comparison to the carnivore which was 30 right, right. kilograms 30. so you know considerably less like five um, times less yeah yeah that's crazy and then lastly we you know looked at the water for this and uh even with uh the water needs for rice patties and growing potatoes and cabbage and and uh, watering chickens um you are only looking at about 0.5 Olympic swimming pools per year per person. And I mean, I say only loosely there because <laughs> I still think that's a, it's a it's big, a fair amount. It's a fair amount. It's Half an Olympic pool. Yeah. Yeah. It's no two Olympic swimming pools. It's true. Like the carnivore diet. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at a quarter of the amount of volume, but nonetheless, 0.5. Yeah. So, you know, and one more thing I wanted to stress here, because we talked a little earlier about taking in uh the uh these this information and being mindful about our uh, uh what we eat based off this information but i think we should make it clear that we understand that there is a lot of people who um you know their income and their choices and their food products are more limited than the others like realistically people that are doing the carnivore diet have some money it's not a it's not a you know right it's not cheap to buy meat right. um so it's an expensive uh, habit to sustain yeah and i know that other people are pressed for money i know i also feel though that sometimes people can do more to choose uh, vegetables or, or uh, meals that include vegetables and stuff like that um, over just buying you know fast food but there are restrictions uh, based on price that limit people from trying these different diets and uh, you know people do the best with with what they got um, yeah for sure 100 yeah. so next time you're at Burger King and you're thinking about getting that burger 
grab the chicken burger instead of the beef burger because all of a sudden your environmental emissions are going to be way lower <laughs> way lower <laughs> yeah and the, the environmental footprint is going to be a lot less so you can at least feel a bit better about yourself morally but all that to say you know i still love my beef burgers as well i can't hate <laughs> yeah and everything in moderation i mean like you know the eating uh you know a steak once a month is uh a blip compared to eating it two times a day i mean realistically yeah you know. exactly which is essentially what some of these people are advocating for you know just essentially having a steak for breakfast lunch and dinner and that's why we essentially used the strictly beef diet as our upper range of the environmental emissions that we looked at so if you're just eating steak morning afternoon evening like these are some serious there are some serious implications associated with that and yeah it's just important for us to be mindful of them not to say that one is better or worse again health wise do what's best for you what's best for your health if you feel like it's helping you with your autoimmune diseases whatever it may be but there are certain questions moral and ethical questions to be con to be considered here and uh, we get to the premise of you know tragedy of the commons hmm. which is the idea that you know we might be able to do something for our own individual selves that's convenient for us but that individual action kind of puts the general community at a disadvantage so you know we need to almost take certain steps where it might not be the ideal choice for us in terms of our own personal benefits but in terms of the you know overall um, society and community that we live in, you know, there it might be a better choice to reduce our, even though you might love to eat steak every day, it might be better to reduce that and eat it maybe once a week or, or you know, every so often as opposed to for a morning, lunch, dinner, whatever. Yeah. And I mean, to make that super clear, those consequences of you eating meat every day don't just affect other people. If you're like, I don't give a fuck about my neighbor, whatever, right? <laughs> but I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, these uh, problems that are created will, uh, you know, inevitably affect everybody, including, your, you know, everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, so we'll continue on the uh, discussion of diet and how that links to the uh, to the environment what is the environmental footprint associated with different types of diets we might explore you know how introducing things such as bug protein cricket protein what are the environmental implications of that but if you guys have any ideas of you know different diets that you'd like us to look at and what the environmental implications of those diets are feel free to let us know um, you know please respond in the comments let us know what you think of this episode and um, I, uh, yeah please uh, please subscribe and we'll catch you later peace <laughs>